Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Hydrogen, the simplest and most abundant element in the universe, it is the raw fuel that most stars burn to produce energy. Here back on Earth, for decades now, it has been called the fuel of the future, and in the past few years, automakers such as Hyundai, Toyota, and Honda have been selling hydrogen-powered vehicles in Canada. As many of you know, hydrogen-powered cars are electric vehicles, with all the same driving dynamics of a battery EV and zero emissions. Only hydrogen vehicles are powered by fuel cells that create electricity from an onboard chemical reaction between the hydrogen fuel and oxygen. In turn, that electricity flows to electric motors that power the wheels. The benefit of FCEVs, as hydrogen vehicles are called, is that you can refill the tank in just minutes, as opposed to plugging in for a charge that will take much longer. But the drawback of hydrogen-powered vehicles is a very sparse public fueling station infrastructure across Canada. This week, we'll explore the vast potential and possible pitfalls of hydrogen-powered vehicles with Mark Kirby, the President and CEO of the Canadian Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association. Prior to this position, among other accomplishments in the field, Mark managed the $100 million divestiture of Ballard Fuel Systems' automotive fuel cell business to Daimler and Ford. Welcome, Mark. Andrew, how are you this morning? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, Before we get to hydrogen and fuel cells, um, I'm curious as to what the first electric vehicle you ever drove was. I think it might have been a taxi in California. Oh, okay. What make and model was that? You know, honestly, I don't remember. I just remember getting an electric vehicle that time. And since then, I've driven in a Tesla at some point. Uh, but uh, really, the first really exciting electric vehicle I drove in was uh, was the Hyundai Nexo. And that uh, that was uh, a month or two back, well, actually almost a year ago back now, when one of the Nexos here in Vancouver, I, I borrowed it from a friend who has one and, uh, and drove that around the city. And that was a, a very enjoyable experience, uh, wonderful cars. Right. And as our listeners, some of them may know, some might not, the Hyundai Nexo is a fuel cell electric vehicle, which uh, we're here to talk about today. That's correct. So in the introduction, I referenced that hydrogen for many years has been called the fuel of the future. For too many years. <laughs> too many years. So, so my question to you is, um, has that future finally arrived? Well, not yet, but it is certainly on its way. I think there's a, a recognition now uh, pretty broadly amongst governments around the world and, and, and the industry as well that uh, that we really do need hydrogen. It's an essential part of the mix of achieving net zero 2050. Hydrogen is a fully zero emission fuel. When you use it in a, in a, in a fuel cell to generate electricity or when you use it, uh, burn it in an engine or a jet turbine, it produces nothing but water. Right. So it is certainly something that uh, that will be a very important part of our mix going forward. Canada for many years has been producing hydrogen and famously uh, the hydrogen highway was talked about back uh, prior to the 2010 Olympics here in Vancouver. Arnold Schwarzenegger, then governor of California and our premier in British Columbia, Gordon Campbell kind of got together on that. That was 10 years ago. You don't hear much about the hydrogen highway anymore. So was it a bit of a false start then or have plug-in electric vehicles kind of overshadowed that for now? It certainly was a necessary step at that time, uh, but perhaps was a little overhyped into what it was, what it could achieve. I was part of the hydrogen and fuel cell 
uh, sector at that time and enjoyed the investment, et cetera, investment activity and excitement that came along at that time. But really, it was a little early for commercial deployment. I was out of the sector for 10 years working in industrial biotechnology, and I came back in just a year ago. And when I came back in and, and you know, took over the leadership of the Canadian Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association, I, you know, I did a little due diligence. And really, I found that there were some significant differences from 10 years ago. First thing is that the fuel cell products themselves uh, have really advanced. They've been taken over by the OEMs, the automotive companies, the big trucking companies and others, us companies, and, and they, they really perform extremely well. Companies like Ballard, like Hydrogenic Supply, products that perform reliably, and, and, and when you have them in a car, they really are durable, they just work really well. So that's one thing. The other thing is that the cost of hydrogen is coming down. It's got more work to do, but if you look at what it costs to make low carbon intensity hydrogen, how many ways you can make low carbon intensity hydrogen, that's a, a been a, a big change. But the third one is just the recognition that we need to cut our greenhouse gas emissions. There's the commitments from many uh, countries that we need to achieve net zero 2050. We need to start working quickly to get there. And when you look at that and you start thinking about how you actually can achieve that, hydrogen becomes such an essential part of the mix because it allows you to decarbonize things like industrial processing, you know, making the essential chemicals, plastics, steel, things like that that we need in our lives. The really the only way you can make those without emitting carbon dioxide is with use of hydrogen. Then you look at building heating. All the, the buildings, offices, houses, et cetera, that we have, heating that's required, uh, again, in industry for, for, for processing, really the only way you can get that to zero emission is through the use of hydrogen as well. And then the third one is in transportation, particularly heavy-duty transportation. We can certainly, and, I, and I'm, I'm a firm supporter of battery electric vehicles. They're, they're great. I, I would certainly buy one. But if you're a truck driver and you're looking to you know, make money and be profitable, the idea of having to have half of your load be made up of batteries to give you the range you need, or the idea of having to stop for a, you know, a multi-hour coffee break in order to recharge your, your rig, it just doesn't work. But on the other hand, if you take that same electric rig, you know, with all the benefits of high torque, quiet operation and zero emission, and you add to that electric rig a, a fuel cell and a hydrogen storage tank, all of a sudden you have the range you need and you can refill that rig in, in a matter of minutes instead of in, in hours. And that just makes it very practical for long distance truckers, for off-road equipment operators, for mining vehicles, even for things like marine vessels, trains, and eventually for aviation. Those are the areas where you really can't electrify them with batteries, but fuel cells work very, very well. Right. One of the challenges of producing hydrogen is doing it cleanly. I think you talked about that, about the low emission. Absolutely. Um, as of last year, 98% of the world's hydrogen production came from steam methane reforming, which emits carbon dioxide. However, there's this alternative, which is called green hydrogen. I guess that's a bit of a layman's term. I'm sure there's more of a technical term for it. But can you explain what green hydrogen means? I'll actually change that a little bit and talk about clean hydrogen. Okay. So the folks are in the uh, in the sector. We, we all agree that you know hydrogen 
must be produced in a low carbon intensity way. Um, if we don't do that, we're kind of defeating the purpose in the same way that electrical power must be produced in a low carbon intensity way. We have a lot of work to do to decarbonize our power production. We're fortunate in BC, but in many parts of Canada and certainly around the world, you know, decarbonizing our power is a clean thing, is a, is a key uh, uh, need. In the same way, we must decarbonize our existing hydrogen production and scale that hydrogen production up enormously to produce more low carbon intensity hydrogen. Now, there's a number of ways you can do that. That's the really nice thing about hydrogen. It's a very inclusive technology. You can start with pretty well any type of energy source. So yes, you can start with renewable power and you can use that renewable power to pull apart water and produce hydrogen and oxygen. And, and that's, that's one way to do it. And the cost of that is coming down drastically. It fits extremely well with the build out of renewable power because you can use the off peak renewable power to do that. So you improve the business case you make it uh, easier to move that energy and store that energy until it's needed. So it's very complementary to the build out of renewable power. The other ways you can make it, you can use fossil fuels provided you manage the carbon. And this is one thing a lot of people don't realize is that you can actually make hydrogen from fossil fuels and completely control the CO2 emissions from that. You do that through either sequestration or technologies where you take that carbon and keep it stored as elemental carbon, you turn it into chemicals where it's, it's stored, whatever, but you don't emit the CO2. And that's very viable. It's also, frankly, a very cost-effective way of making low-carbon intensity hydrogen. It's an area where you know we think there is a real need to uh, start you know, literally demanding of our, of our fossil fuel industry that they start providing that low-cost, low-carbon intensity hydrogen to help us in that transition to a, a low carbon intensity future. You can also make hydrogen from, from biomass, from waste materials, and from off-peak nuclear, which is something that's being looked at back in uh, Eastern Canada. There's a lot of ways that you can make low carbon intensity hydrogen. And that's a good thing, because if you look at how much we're gonna need, we're gonna need every source of low carbon intensity hydrogen to be able to, to produce enough to, to fully decarbonize our economy. I know Quebec is, I will say, leading the way maybe in Canada in terms of provinces working on clean hydrogen. Absolutely. Uh, Quebec has been in this for, for, for decades, literally. They uh, built their first liquid hydrogen plants in Quebec uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And those plants have been supplying hydrogen uh, throughout North America and they're continuing to operate. In fact, one is expanding right now. The uh, Air Liquide plant at Bécancourt is expanding using Canadian technology and it's the largest uh, electrolytic hydrogen production facility in the world, although not for long, there's a lot more projects around the world that are coming on that will, will be even larger, but it's a very exciting project due to start up a bit later this year. But I will say, and again, a lot of people don't recognize it, that as far as low carbon intensity hydrogen, I believe, and nobody's uh, ever disputed this, that the largest producer of low carbon intensity hydrogen in the world today is Alberta, where they make it from natural gas and sequester the CO2 permanently underground. So a lot of people don't know that, but that is currently uh, a huge uh, source of, of low carbon intensity hydrogen. It's used today captively in the oil industry, but there's projects underway to move that out of the oil patch and into the heating and transportation needs of Alberta, something called the Heartland Project, where we're looking to couple together the low carbon intensity hydrogen production 
the industrial processing, uh, along with building heating, transportation for buses. Uh, there's a long distance heavy duty truck project in place there with Kenworth and uh, Dana. So there's some really interesting work that's being done in Alberta, which a lot of people probably don't realize. No, for sure. And and when you alluded to the fossil fuel that could be used to produce hydrogen, obviously, or not obviously, but natural gas is one that is always cited as uh, probably the best one to use. Well, it's certainly a low cost option. And of course, BC has massive uh, natural gas reserves and very good terrain for sequestration. I was, I was just talking with Geosciences BC and they're talking about all the, the ability for us to sequester CO2 permanently. It's a huge export opportunity for BC to get into the business of producing and exporting low carbon intensity hydrogen. That's a growing business. If you look at uh, Australia, they are all in on that. They're currently in a project to start exporting uh, hydrogen to Japan. Uh, Japan is looking for other sources around the world to supply their growing needs. Korea is doing the same thing. China will need it, uh, California, Germany, et cetera. They're, they're all looking at how they're going to get their hydrogen needs. And if Canada moves quickly and starts to plan on this, we can participate in that. And this is a way to take advantage of our energy resources, both our low carbon intensity power production from our hydro resources in Quebec, BC, Manitoba, et cetera, and take advantage of our fossil fuel resources in Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC, and export that energy as zero emission hydrogen and leaving all the carbon behind in the ground, no emissions. So it's a very exciting uh, potential that we can and really should take advantage of. Obviously, what you need in this kind of realm in Canada is almost a government champion. We see it a lot in the EV space, plug-in stations, public charging stations, funding for that and everything. Hydrogen obviously is more of an industrial kind of application, but with passenger vehicles now showing up in Canada, there are currently three for sale. The Nexo, as we talked about, the Honda Clarity and the Toyota Mirai. Mm -hmm. You know, people can buy these cars now and drive them, and they are doing that in very low numbers, obviously. But where are we going to see this push? I mean, is it going to take a federal speech? Is it going to take provinces to kind of make it more high profile? It seems to be really under the radar in most people's minds. Well, I think you're absolutely right. It does, it does require government leadership here. We do have uh, the BC government and the Quebec government are taking some very bold steps and are moving forward in this, and we certainly congratulate them. Alberta is starting to look at this and see the opportunity. Uh, Ontario uh, is interested, in, and I, I've just been in contact with and, and working on a, a panel in the Maritimes, believe it or not, to look at the hydrogen opportunity there. But it does take uh, the federal government certainly stepping up and showing leadership in this area. And the first step is to acknowledge the essential role that hydrogen is going to play in decarbonizing our economy and basically stating that, you know, Canada will be in the forefront of this. And then backing that up with some serious budget commitments. We are certainly talking with the government about that and, and the need to help de-risk that early investment in hydrogen production and distribution. That's an essential role that the federal government needs to play. That's what will start it. Industry also needs to step up, and they are. I'm in regular contact with major industries that recognize they need to decarbonize their operations. And they recognize also that, that hydrogen gives them a choice. Now, for your average person, you know, and you look at this, and we, as I say, I'm talking about buses and trains and trucks and industry and so on. But, they, you know, they may look at this and say, well, what's that you know, got to do with me? Well, yeah, hydrogen also is something that can give a nice choice to the average Canadian consumer as well. A couple of examples. Your house is a big emitter of CO2. You use natural gas to heat it today. One option you have, and it's a 
very viable option is to electrify your house. Takes a heat pump, takes buying power and so on. It's a fairly expensive option. You know, you've got to put that capital in and, and your operating costs are going to be fairly high. Another potential option is to convert your house to hydrogen. Very viable, can be done just the same as burning natural gas and requires a pretty minor changes to your gas fireplace and your, your furnace and that sort of thing. But it requires that there be low cost, low carbon intensity hydrogen available. Now that's very doable. It can be transmitted in the pipelines the same way as natural gas can be, but it requires long-term vision and a plan to start initially blending that hydrogen in with our natural gas, and then ultimately moving to convert those pipes to pure hydrogen. Very viable, very cost-effective, and frankly, a lot less demanding on renewable power and building out our already overloaded grids and something which you know would allow the average Canadian a choice of a ways to decarbonize their personal lives. Similarly on um, your vehicle, battery electric vehicles are great and for, for many people for their commuting needs a battery electric vehicle will be the best option. But some people like to have pickups and they want to be able to drive into the back country and you know run their stereo all weekend or, or pull their boat out of the water or whatever. And that's okay. And fuel cell electric vehicles would give them a choice to do that. You know, you would have the range, you'd have the fast fuel capability, you'd have the towing capacity and the load that you want and be fully zero emission. So I think it's a choice that we as Canadians frankly deserve. And we should be talking to government and to our suppliers and saying, you know, why can't I get that? What's the holdup? What are you doing to help ensure that I can get that low cost, low carbon intensity hydrogen and I can buy those fuel cell products? Right. And it comes down to at a public charging station, it's all about infrastructure. And obviously infrastructure for public hydrogen is the issue. Yeah. Here in Vancouver, where you and I both live, there are three public stations with a one to open in Victoria, you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. It's viable there, but obviously it's going to take a huge investment for infrastructure for the private sector and the public sector to make this happen. Yeah, it will. That is absolutely the big challenge in hydrogen. You know, when you look at the fuel cell products, those are coming. You look at the ability to produce a low carbon intensity hydrogen, that's there. The big challenge is around uh, moving it and getting those filling stations in place. That's a big capital cost. Now, I will point out that even though a fueling station costs more than a charging station, a fueling station, a hydrogen fueling station can fill many, many, many vehicles. So as load builds, actually the cost of those fueling stations can be lower than electrical fueling stations on a per vehicle basis. And that's what we're finding when you start looking at converting a fuel full, let's say bus fleet. And this is what's happening in California right now. You've got putting in one or two buses, electrical uh, battery electric buses is, is easy. Put a couple of chargers in there and off you go. When you want to convert a hundred or a thousand buses to battery electric, wow, that becomes hard. Same thing with residential cars. We can start putting in uh, chargers for individuals and that's great, but a hydrogen fueling station can service hundreds or thousands of vehicles. It's an investment, but it's one that will over time be paid back and will uh, be supported by the demand on it. But we need to get going on it. As you mentioned, there are three that are currently running, a fourth uh, due to start very shortly, and two more, one in South Vancouver uh, and another in Kelowna that are in construction, will be starting within a year. And then there's also um, a commitment uh, from the uh, provincial government to fund an additional 10 stations. And they've uh, made uh, $10 million available for that, which we're, we're working with. And we're bringing in uh, additional funding from the federal government to get at least 10 fueling stations built in BC to continue the rollout of fuel cell electric vehicles. 
Right. Looking at the technology, and, and I drove the Mira when it was debuted five years ago in California, and it was incredible because it really is the best of both worlds. It's a zero emission electric vehicle, but you can fuel it in five minutes. Exactly. The range anxiety is not an issue as long as you have that infrastructure. Exactly. Mark Kirby, I'm afraid we're out of time. Fantastic talk, really interesting stuff. You certainly are in an exciting spot in Canada right now. And um, we really look forward to seeing how hydrogen rolls out in the coming years. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. It really is an exciting time right now. It's so busy and, uh, you know, great business opportunity, great opportunity for Canada to both decarbonize itself and also participate in this exciting new industry. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I've said it before on this podcast, and I'll say it again. The EV revolution is not an either-or proposition. The future of personal and commercial mobility will be a mix of a number of technologies, and as you heard from Mark Kirby, hydrogen figures to be a big part of that mix. However, for that to happen in Canada, and for our country not to be left behind, we need our politicians to encourage the private sector, through funding and policy, to develop the kinds of hydrogen pathways Mark spoke about. We can't let regionalism and party politics hold the country back from the possibilities hydrogen technology offers. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest, Mark Kirby, producer extraordinaire, Darm Makwana, editor, Sean Carruthers, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also be able to go back and listen to all the episodes from seasons one and seasons two.